Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 22. My guest today is Justin Counahan. Justin is the managing director at Floodlight Content in Adelaide, Australia. Justin went from being an industrial designer intern in 2013 to where he is now running the show. It's great to talk to him. Here we go. Justin, how you doing, man? Nice to meet you, Mark. I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you so much for taking some time out to be on the Pure Now Show. Really appreciate it. Of course. No worries at all. So you're in Australia. Yes, in Adelaide, Australia. Yes. Bottom side, right in the middle of Australia, about 800 kilometers west of Melbourne, which is probably a little more known city than, than Adelaide. So we're one of the one of the smaller cities in Australia. Is that where your office is located? It is, yeah. So we, we started the company in Adelaide and we started in production here in 2015. We've since expanded over to Melbourne as well. So we've got a growing office over in Melbourne with about four people over there. So starting to spread our wings a little bit out of, out of Adelaide. And you're talking about Floodlight, of course. I am, yes. Floodlight, floodlight Content, which started as Floodlight Media um, and has since, since changed to Floodlight Content in the last few months. So we've gone, we've had a pretty big, pretty big year this year. So had, had quite a few changes. Well, I have to tell you, man, I'm super impressed because when I was going through your background and your stats, dude, you just got out of industrial design school in 2013 and now you're like running the show. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it feels it's funny when when you look back at it like that. It feels quite, it seems quite rapid, but for me, it's felt like a, a slow kind of progressive journey across across that period of time. So yeah, I started started in industrial design and still have a huge passion for it. But did all my minors at university in film and and really enjoyed film and photography and. A couple of my friends started what was then called Roberts and Roberts Productions. A couple of brothers, they used to do a lot of wedding films and corporate videos. And I joined in with them in 2015 because they needed some help with managing some of their productions because I'd ended up doing mostly project management as, a, as an industrial designer. And yeah, kind of all, all just went from there, really. That was, the, that was the origin story. And that's how I shifted across from design into the kind of production world. Well, again, you know, I'm looking at your background. I see you as an intern. And even though it may feel like a slow boat to China that you were on, Clearly, an eight-year span, a lot of things occurred for you. Your trajectory was spot on. I mean, it's, it seems like you knew where you wanted to go and that you did the work you needed to get there. And, and here you are now, again, running the show. And the content you guys develop is incredible. Quite lovely, actually. Yeah, thank you. We started mostly as a production house. And we used to work with some of the advertising agencies around Adelaide, doing all sorts of content production, some advertising, a lot of online content and then we've slowly been developing other skill sets as well so now we do we do a lot of 3d animation 2d animation live action production a bit of design and we're starting to do more content strategy and those kinds of things so we're slowly expanding our service offering outside of just being a traditional production house into being much more of a direct-to-client creative agency much more closely aligned to that kind of model now as a benchmark I, I was looking at your tesla spot your tvc and uh, shooting the batteries at night it's a really powerful piece and uh, the concept execution is really quite beautiful and uh, you guys have even in a short time you've developed award-winning work you're being recognized and clearly you're on the right path. You have the right team of people working together. How does that feel 
to progress along at a pretty quick clip and get recognized for the work that you're producing. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really good. We've always been a little shy about entering into awards and not wanting to toot our own horn too much. But in the last 18 months, we've been feeling more comfortable with the quality of work we've been producing and wanting to get it out there a little bit more and just see how we can compare against some of the companies that are operating in Asia and in the US and in Europe and just see where we're at in terms of our quality and our creative ideas. And that's been a really, really awesome process to kind of see that we're getting there with the quality of work that we're producing, the creativity of the work that we're producing. It's starting to level up on a, on a global stage, which has been really exciting to see. Because yeah, again, on our end, it's been it's been a slow journey of constant improvement, upskilling people internally, and along with that comes all the systems and processes that need to go with all of those things. It's quite a complicated journey, really, to get to get to that point, there's so much work that goes behind something like that. It's kind of kind of crazy to think about it. Well, I want to go into details about that, but before we do that, I want you to jump in the time machine a little bit here and uh, go back to your youth, what the spark was, what the inspiration was, how you got on track, thinking that you wanted to head down this creative path. And do you recall any significant event or events that occurred even as a child that informed you that this was direction that you wanted to go in yeah there's a there's a couple of highlight stories i know my parents would definitely tell in this scenario that that probably pointed to this being a possibility for me there's a great series of photos around when i was two or three years old for probably yeah probably 18 months where they could not take a photo of me as a kid because in every photo i would be screaming because I wanted to be using the camera. I refused ah. to be in front of the camera. I only, I was only happy if I was using the camera. So there's all these photos of me screaming with my hand outreached towards the camera, crying, asking them to give me the camera, which is quite funny. So I always had a fascination with, with cameras ever since I was a little kid. And this is probably where that industrial design and production side crossover. I always liked the mechanics of how cinematography works and photography works. And that crossover of kind of science and creativity is a really kind of strong point for me. And if you look at my YouTube history, it's all just science and technology YouTubers. It's pretty much exclusively what I watch. I really enjoy that kind of intersection of technology and creativity. There's probably another funny story that probably sums it up quite well from when I was a kid. And my parents have still got all the old videotapes. I used to be prolific with Lego, or Lego as you guys would say. We say Lego here for some reason. And I used to build cars all the time out of Lego. And then I would smash them into the wall of my bedroom and I'd film it in slow motion with our camera and then watch it back. Wow. <laughs> and kind of both from an artistic point of view, the exploding Lego pieces flying everywhere, but also from a, like a technical point of view, like seeing the physics of how it exploded and the camera kind of giving me a lens into a, like a slow motion world of kind of exploding pieces because it kind of gives you that amazing physics of the car exploding apart. So there's a funny kind of intersection there. That's wild. You were like a baby Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> you were so down with the whole technical aspect of it. And how old would you say you were at that time? I was probably uh, maybe seven or eight when I was doing the Lego exploding and then probably two or three when I was crying and begging to be given the camera so I could be behind the lens. So did that kind of clue your parents in? Was there some kind of a nurturing process that occurred after that? Did they recognize that you had this affinity and that you were absolutely telling them what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think there was a period of time where I wasn't quite sure how to apply that creativity. I think that for a while I felt like I had to do a more traditional 
career, whether it was engineering or something like that, but it, my, my math skills weren't quite as strong to be able to do the engineering side. And then I had this kind of creativity under the surface as well. And I, I didn't realize it, but it kind of perfectly aligned with industrial design was kind of exactly where my skill sets in my in my earlier years aligned, which is it's kind of an intersection of creativity and engineering that mixed together really, really nicely. And yeah, that's that's kind of what led me down the industrial design path. And there's a few other circumstances I, I'm a pretty avid cyclist and there's a really strong connection between cycling and industrial design. A lot of people that end up doing industrial design are really keen cyclists. So that's how I ended up in that kind of design field, which is a really nice mix of technical and the creative being brought together, which which is very much how I see a lot of a lot of the work that we do as well is a really nice mix. And film in general and photography, all of those disciplines, 3D animation, they're all fantastic mix of, of technical prowess alongside highly, highly creative work. So that's what's really attracted me to those fields. I see them in my head, they're all similar in a, in a weird way. Well, they're certainly connected, but it's, it's mm. pretty incredible how your aptitude kind of jumped out and, and uh, was very clear for you. And obviously there was no question about the path that you would go down. You went to high school and then on to university. How did you begin to acquire the skills that you needed and the experience to start exploring that field more? I came out of uni and I, again, I felt like I needed to do some sort of traditional career path and I started doing a science degree. And during, during that period, there's a, it's a little hard to describe, but there's a there's an unusual sport here in, in Australia where people race these human-powered vehicles. You lie down in them and you pedal them and they're like a human-powered go-kart, essentially. And during that period while I was doing that, that science degree, I got really into this sport and we, me and my friend started to build one of these machines to race in one of the races coming up. Anyway, I ended up missing all of my science classes. I got totally bored with it. Ended up building this machine We'd make videos about building it. There was a whole connection there and we, we raced it in a big race that year and then it kind of clicked like industrial design. That's what I that's what I want to do. That's where my interests were at high school. So I started doing industrial design through this through this pathway, ended up at University of South Australia doing industrial design. Really enjoyed it the whole way through. It was a four year degree and this is kind of where the film and photography side comes in. I got to do a lot of electives in film and photography. I used to do all the photography of everyone's projects. I used to make little videos about our classes. And so that started to filter in during this time at university. The, the film and production side and really yeah but just really enjoyed industrial design really liked the skills developed my design aesthetic which was really awesome i'm not naturally a gifted creative but i really enjoy learning about it and developing my skills in those areas so developed that out a little bit and then ended up working at a design agency for about two years and really was able to work on a whole variety of different projects. It was an exhibition design firm. So we used to do a lot of science exhibits for museums, a lot of a lot of custom work, which was really, really exciting. And I kind of ended up in, in project management out of that and managing the projects in which we were we were actually designing. So yeah, that's a bit of the link about how I ended up back at Floodlight from there. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Well, it sounds like you cultivated a lot of experience from just hands-on doing, whether it was intentional or unintentional, that all these opportunities presented themselves for you to build your skill set and that you were able to take all this and 
create something out of it just through inertia, really, just through doing it and having the ability to create from whatever was being presented to you. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for just taking opportunities as they come. And that's really, if you could call it a career, that's really been a summary of, of, of my journey to date has been you get a small window of opportunity and you follow that pathway. And I think that naturally as that, as that happens, you start to hone down into A, what you're good at and B, what you're interested in. So I think, yeah, that natural pathway out of university into a design firm ended up, you know, had the opportunity to manage a project, was quite good at project management. And then the work there quietened down and my mates who'd started the, the production house were like, oh, we really need some help managing projects. Like we've got so much work on. And as it quietened down, just took that opportunity and then that opened up a whole new world of, of, of different possibilities from there. So it sounds like a convoluted path, but there's so much link between all of these different areas that it's kind of just taken opportunities, allowed those to blossom and then taken the next pathway and continued on from there. Well, let's talk about the life of Floodlight content and see where you started with that and how you developed that out, what the complexities were and how you came to a place of success and where you're still growing now. Yeah, I joined in what was then just called Floodlight Media. It was two brothers, Dave and Cameron, and then I was the third employee. We started off in an office, it was nine square meters. There was three of us in there, which is pretty tiny. It's a very small space. We were at the South Australian Film Corporation here in, in Adelaide. And occasionally their brother Joe used to come in as well. And we would all be in this nine square meter office working together. He looked after our IT equipment and we used to do all the production. So Cam is our current creative director. Dave's a really talented cinematographer and then I was the producer. So really I was kind of the last missing piece in the puzzle for them, I think. And once we kind of formed our, our team together, it really kind of took off. I was that last missing link to help manage those projects and bring the, the clients along for the journey with the projects and kind of getting them more involved in what we were doing. So. Yeah, it was kind of just this perfect triangle. Once we linked that part together, it really started to take off. So yeah, as I, as I said before, it feels like it's been a slow journey, but it has I guess it has been quite rapid. We, that was probably March or April 2015 I joined in and we, yeah, we slowly started to grow the team from there basically. Well, I'd be interested to know some of the obstacles. It's easy to tell the story of positive growth and all the wonderful things that happened, but it's certainly not easy to grow a business of any kind and I'm sure there were stumbling blocks and periods of lack of growth and needing to work out solutions for certain things as they arose. Can you talk to me about the nuts and bolts of putting that thing together and what were some of the challenges you faced and that you may even face today in keeping that running streamlined and keeping clients happy and keeping you guys happy? Yeah, I think that the journey is not linear. I think it's from the outside, I think a lot of these journeys seem quite linear. They're a constant progression, adding staff, adding capability, but in reality, it is incredibly lumpy. It might even out to being being an upward slope, but the, the reality of it is, is, is a much bumpier journey. And I think that most people would, unless they've had an absolute dream run, I think most people find that it's quite bumpy. We've added services to the business that haven't worked out for a whole variety of reasons. We've had employees come through that weren't the right fit and may have only lasted a few months total, you know, and you have to make really difficult decisions to, to kind of move those people through the business. We experimented with live streaming early on. So 2015, that was one of the first things that I did. We added live streaming to our capabilities and this one were very much production focused and we had some success with it, but 
just from a business model point of view, it didn't work out. And that's a pretty harsh lesson. It's like, there's an interest there from clients. There's excitement around it. People, we kind of got known for being quite good at it in South Australia. We did some big events, but we could never turn a profit doing live streaming. And it just didn't work from a business point of view. And we had to drop it out of our service offering. And that was a great journey. And we learned a lot about how to manage complicated projects and how to work really well under pressure. But in the end, the, the business model didn't work out. And that's just a, you know, as a creative company, that's a, that's a harsh lesson to learn. Because oftentimes it's not the first thing that you think about. I think a lot of businesses are driven by the business side. When you're so passionate about what you do, like we do in creative companies, you've got to be really careful not to get in the trap of thinking something's good just because you're passionate about it or scratches a creative itch that you have. That's the that's a real trap and, and can be quite dangerous for creative companies at times. And times have changed. And maybe at that time, you know, things are about timing too, because you're talking about streaming. And of course, with COVID, content creation, delivery, accessibility, visibility, all those things have changed and accelerated in, in new directions. It sounds like that particular business model or that module of business could now be a viable opportunity since things have kind of changed. There's been a huge change in the market. We we were very tempted to, to take it back on when, when COVID kicked off because we suddenly had a huge swathe of new business requests come through for live streaming but we did hold firm on that one just because of that new direction as a as a content agency and a more creative services company we didn't think it was a good fit anymore and that that was a really tough decision to make because it had quietened down for us and we we're getting these requests through but we decided no we've, we've seen that in the past we're going to stick to our guns and in the in that kind of wake there's been a, a bunch of companies pop up in south australia that do a really good job of live streaming and that's their real focus so we decided to leave that to them and we we're going to continue on on our, on our new trajectory as a company. Yeah, and you can have them as strategic partners. I mean, you don't have to do That's it all. Exactly That's the right. beauty of creating the relationships and doing what you do best and leveraging what other people do best as part of the package. Spot on, yeah. I want to hear about some contrast and you certainly don't have to name names, but specifically, I'd be interested in hearing about a, a project maybe that didn't go well as you'd hoped it would. And even though it presented its challenges, you know, with every challenge is learning opportunity on the other end, regardless of how it feels in the moment. Can you give me an idea of, of a project you worked on that was challenging for you guys, although you may have delivered it or not delivered it? I think every project has its unique set of challenges. There's a painful dichotomy that often happens with the projects that we work on. And the ones that turn out the best are often the ones that struggle from a financial perspective as well as from a development point of view through that journey and often they're at odds with each other the, the financial side and the creative side can often kind of butt heads with each other quite a lot because as people get more invested in the project tensions can rise around owning the creative idea more you get a bit more conflict involved in the project people spend more time on something because they're so passionate about it and that starts to eat into budgets so there's a I think a couple of the projects you probably see on the front page of our website, and I won't name names, but some of them from a budgetary point of view were incredibly challenging. There'd be a lot of red all over the project management software on that one, but the output and the final delivery was some of the best work that we've ever done. So there's often that dichotomy there with our projects of managing that passion from our team at times and, and trying to make sure that that we get all those, because you really need all the levers to align. You know, you need the financial side, you need the creative side, and you need the kind of project workflow side to all come together. 
as best as you can and you're constantly pushing and pulling those levers to try and make sure that the projects are running through the company really smoothly and, and you're getting consistent high quality outputs at the end because the thing about this is once that big project's done there has to be another one following straight up behind it and the team needs to be ready to go on that and i think because we run an int a big internal team at floodlight we're not using a lot of freelancers we do a lot of internal work everyone here is constantly needing to produce really high quality work so they can't put all their energy into one thing they have to be ready to to roll onto the next project as that comes through so that's that's a huge challenge as well do you think that having drama involved with some of this actually helps produce a higher quality piece of work because of the complications, the, the complexities and all the things that push you in different directions instead of having just like a super easy flow that oftentimes it pushes you creatively as well? Yeah, I think that tension can bring good outcomes and when people get really passionate about a project, naturally you kind of end up with differing opinions or, or differing levels of commitment to that project that can kind of get out of whack a little bit. But in the end, if you can manage that that tension, then you, you definitely end up with a better output at the end for sure. But luckily we've got a pretty level-headed team. Everyone's really aligned with what we're trying to do and everyone has kind of an innate desire to, I think, improve what they're doing. I can consistently say across the board, everyone on the team now is just constantly improving the work that they do. And without a lot of input from us, they continue to improve. So that tension is a good thing if it's managed correctly. And yeah, I definitely agree to your point, can lead to a better output in the end. Well, let's talk about the opposite of that is where things are going extremely smooth and everything is lining up. All the levers are lining up, as you say, and the budget's working and you're able to produce. Give me an idea of the best project that you guys have put out thus far. Something that you're really proud of and that is kind of a benchmark for what you guys do going forward. Yeah, I think there's probably a few that have worked really nicely and they're all they're all featured on our on our webpage, but the project for MGA Insurance Brokers was the first campaign that we got given. So we were able to do the full creative. It was a TV campaign along with photography and, and some other assets, radio assets as well. We were able to look after that campaign from the start and it's the first time we've been entrusted with that level of creativity and the strategic thinking behind it as well. And that project has worked really well. The client we were working with were really open to our ideas and we'd worked closely with them in the part with him in the past on different projects. So there was that level of trust there, even though it was a slightly new frontier for us. This was probably about three years ago. And then, yeah, it, it was just a smooth process. Everyone was aligned with the vision. The creative director had a really clear vision for what he wanted out of the project. Everyone was on board through the whole pre-production phase. We had a really nice, clear storyboarding and scripting process. And it was very, very smooth. So yeah, those kinds of projects are a, a, real, a real dream. But often the big ones just have their own sets of challenges attached to them. I can't think of a lot of projects that don't have some sort of passage of time within them that there was some tension or a little bit of drama attached to it that you have to resolve. But that's all part of the process really, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we're dealing in uh, human presentation, so it's unavoidable. There's all kinds of levels of operation happening from intellectual on through to emotional and physical. And it's a big chore to try and help a client create what it is that they want 
and for your shop to be happy producing what you want. And again, it's all about aligning people and people are paying for what they want. And at the same time, you know, you have a certain level of work that you want to produce and, and represent. And of course, not everything is a portfolio piece, but you would like it to be. And I guess that's a challenge too, is maintaining a certain level of creative dignity, I guess you could call it, and ensuring that no matter what, that you want to create a portfolio piece. That, yeah, you have to pay the bills for sure, but you don't want to just churn things out, I would imagine. No, that's totally spot on. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. I think one thing that we've learned in the last couple of years as the business has matured, I think we started with an attitude of, of yes and is kind of how we started the business. And I think in the early stages of starting a company, that's a great attitude to have. It's like someone comes to you with an opportunity, you say yes, yes and. Do you know what that rule is from? No, not specifically. Yes and is the primary rule of improvisation. Yeah, that is, that's a good point, yeah. It's a fantastic basis to start from because you are already in agreement that you're going to collaborate. Now it's how do you dance together? And it's just about allowing each other to have the freedom to just be and hope that everybody's putting some really killer stuff into the mix to create an incredible experience. Yeah, I totally agree. And one thing that we've, that, that yes and approach started us off really, really well. But now we're almost, have matured past that a little bit to the point where we have the confidence now to go yes, but, <laughs> right. you know, there's right. a little bit more of like, well, hang on, why are we making this content? What's the purpose of the content? What channels is it going on? Let's just stop and take a breath before we launch into making something for you and work out that it's actually going to be effective. And that's probably been one of the biggest changes and having new people come on the team, particularly our general manager over in Melbourne, he came from an agency background and bringing that attitude into the company has been a huge shift in the way we think about doing the work. And we've had better outcomes from that since. You know, I think that that early stage startup mentality of like take opportunities, run with it, build networks, build relationships is really good at the start. But as you mature and your expertise in the subject increases, I think it's important and you owe it to the client to sometimes tell them to just pump the brakes a little bit and have a bit of a think about why they're making something as well. And that's been a nice change in how we operate. And sometimes, you know, occasionally we've talked ourselves out of a job. We don't think this is the right time or you haven't thought about the audience enough and they go away and they realize that, oh, maybe this isn't the right piece of content to make or maybe the timeline is too short to do what we want to do properly. And pretty much always that's been a benefit in the end. Every time that we've done that, we've said like, whoa, pump the brakes and talked about it with them a bit more. You know, majority of the time the project goes ahead in some format but sometimes they haven't gone ahead and that's that's still been a positive because they come back to you and they trust you. So speaking of all that, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, COVID and its impact on your company and what's been going on in Australia specifically because I know it's been kind of an up and down thing. I know there are some positive benefits from the COVID outbreak that it has created opportunity like with any other crisis. It's a way to grow and develop and find new ways of doing things. How has it overall affected floodlight content? And uh, what have been some challenges it's presented that you've had to be uh, quick on your feet about? Yeah, Australia's had a really unusual relationship with COVID and it's affected because it's such a large country 
and it's geographically very separated. A lot of people don't realize Australia is one of the most urbanized countries in the world. For our population size, we have incredibly big cities and a very sparse rural population. So there's huge gaps between all the major cities, between 800 and 1,000 kilometers minimum. And then between Adelaide and Perth, it's like 3,000 kilometers. So there's huge gaps between the cities. So each city has had a very different experience with COVID because they've essentially cordoned off the country through the last kind of two years. So at the start of the pandemic, there was the instant freak out, we cut every cost in the company, every project was delayed. That probably lasted six weeks. In Australia, we were really, really lucky. The weather was still good here, so people were spending a lot of time outdoors and it just didn't take off, particularly in Adelaide. There was no community transmission for a long time. They introduced really tough borders. They had hotel quarantine. I know Vietnam, they were equally pretty stringent and quite successful for long periods of time with COVID. So most of last year, we were really lucky. A lot of projects went ahead. It was suppressed. The revenue was very flat but we were able to keep working. We didn't really have to let anyone go. There was a bit of government support that went around that really helped us out and that kind of made up for that kind of flatter revenue. But we were able to keep operating mostly as normal. We were able to keep shooting. We worked at home a lot, but we were able to go to the office from time to time. And we were really lucky in Adelaide. Our Melbourne office, on the other hand, very, very different experience over there, much larger city. And they, they had a really nasty outbreak late 2020. And then they again had a really nasty outbreak in 2021 until the vaccination rate in Australia caught up basically. But Adelaide is is a bit of a, a worldwide anomaly in that we almost escaped the entire thing. There was very, very small outbreaks that happened here, but they mostly kept cordoned off from the rest of the country. So we're incredibly lucky and yeah, it's it's a it's a freaky kind of place. They say Australia is the lucky country, but it's been beyond anyone's wildest dreams how lucky we've been in the last 18 months. It's kind so of what crazy. kind of opportunities has it presented to you as far as new ways of working with your clients, new ways of working with your teams and offering different deliveries of content, both in how you deliver and what you deliver? I would imagine that had some effect on it. Yeah, we already had really good systems set up for working remotely because we had the Adelaide and the Melbourne office and we work highly collaboratively with them. So Joe, our IT manager had really good systems set up for that already so everyone became more proficient with those which was really really good so now there's this very seamless remote working culture in the company that's been fantastic and as a result of it i mean one of the probably the one of the coolest things that's happened we do most of the work internally but we do use a, a small team of freelancers to help us out when we have overflow work and we used to kind of use them locally we'd try and get people from adelaide if they were working on adelaide projects or melbourne if they were melbourne projects but now that we're working with a fantastic editor who's based in auckland in new zealand and she remotes in to one of the computers in the office using an amazing piece of software called Parsec. It was made for gaming, to screen sharing software like a, a Windows remote desktop, but made for gaming, so it's really low latency, so you can edit using the software. So she logs into a computer in the office in Adelaide. It doesn't even have a screen attached to it. Wow. It just is plugged into the network, and she works remotely on that computer. And similarly, we've got a, an animator and a, an illustrator that works in Perth. So he's been doing a similar process, working on the server in Adelaide remotely, and it's worked really, really well. So it's opened up this whole world of talent opportunities and accessing different skill sets from around the world and bypassing the painful logistics of transferring footage and all the horrible things that go with that, with particularly with large 
projects where you're dealing with large amounts of data, which right. is often the case for us. What have you noticed really in uh, behavior changes in your clients as far as demands and the way they want to work with you? Yeah, I think there's some kind of practical pleasantry in that I don't spend as much time driving around the city or, or around the country for that matter, going to meet up with people for menial tasks and meetings, which is honestly pretty nice. I think we're saving a lot of time across the board and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced that. From the client side, people are just more comfortable to meet remotely, which is great. I think remote meetings great for maintaining relationships. It's genuinely right. terrible for building relationships and building new connections with people. It's really challenging, but for maintaining and just doing daily tasks, it's really, really good. So that saved us a lot of time. In terms of their demands and requirements, I don't know, not a huge change. I don't think there's been a definite shift towards animation and it's definitely driven our animation team, which has been really cool. So we're doing more and more 2D and 3D animation now. So there's more of a demand for that, I guess, because it's just a little less risky than shooting. Travel has been really tricky in Australia in the last 18 months and a lot of border closures between the states. So harder to go out and shoot, particularly in remote areas and that kind of thing. So we've been diverting to animation. So a few clients that refused to do animation 18 months or two years ago are now really enjoying it and have incorporated that into the mix, which has been great for us. So it kind of forced us to build out a bit of a team and a pipeline of work. That's uh, the balanced story. I mean, uh, this crisis has been hugely beneficial to us because it's easy to generate digital content and people are really generally used to seeing it now. There's so much animation and people really enjoy it. It's a, a wonderful tool for telling stories with zero boundaries. And because of the live action limitations, it seems that clients may be getting more bang for their buck too in uh, going with animation. Have you found that to be the case for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. As clients get more comfortable with the process too, because it is quite different to live action and some of the clients are more used to traditional shooting. You know, there's a lot of work that needs to go into the pre-production in animation to make sure everyone's aligned with what it's going to look like at the end. So getting them used to that workflow has been really good for us as well. And, and they've kind of been forced to learn how to work in that world and visualize how these animations are going to look. So that's been a, a yeah. good process. For what advice would you give to people coming into the creative industry now that might help them navigate through some of the complexities and not have to go down certain roads unnecessarily? It's a good question. One thing that I just have to say, if I have any sort of pulpit to say it on, is portfolio is so important. And I know that that's obvious, but making sure that you take any opportunity you can to develop out your portfolio before you send it to industry is the most vitally important thing you'll ever do. Get as much feedback as you can on that portfolio of work and develop it and develop it and develop it and get feedback and make sure you keep developing it. Your reel and portfolio of work is absolutely crucial. From there too, I think with a great portfolio, there's opportunity to win work anywhere in the world. If a company can see that your portfolio of work is strong, they may be happy to work with you from anywhere. And once you get in with a network, in a certain place they have a good experience it will continue to spread through their network too so you'll pick up work and clients and opportunities more and more and more and i know more and more companies that are happy to work with people remotely now as they get more used to the process so i've seen a couple of big visual effects houses in adelaide actively advertising for people with remote working so they're working on big hollywood productions and they're happy to work with people anywhere in the world they don't even need to move to adelaide which is just a kind of bizarre concept if you looked at it 
24 months ago, but now it's just totally normal. But being able to prove to people that you can do the work that you say that you can do to a high quality and just making sure that that's really clear. If you could not do what you were doing, what is it you would perhaps want to be doing? Yeah, I think I'd be a bicycle designer like for SRAM or, or or Shimano or something like that, making bike components or even working for like a camera manufacturer. There's an amazing business in Australia called Black Magic. They make camera systems and live production equipment, all sorts of color grading desks. They've got a really big team of industrial designers. I always thought something like that would be fun as well. So probably still in industrial design would be my other area of interest. I like have a 3D printer just back there. I, I do lots of little projects when I can get my hands on them. And the last question is, how do you balance your professional and your personal life? How do you make sure that you're maintaining a certain level of happiness so you can give all you can at work and still be happy to... I mean, I would imagine the bicycle is part of that. Yeah, yeah. I try and have clear time that's carved out for things that I enjoy. And the weekends I try and make as sacred as possible now. Those, you know, two days or two and a half days on a weekend that you get. I try not to work on the weekend actively as much as possible. I've, I've kind of ruled that out of, of how I work. I'd rather start really early on a Monday to catch up, you know, start at seven o'clock and work through to six on a Monday than have to do work on a Sunday. So just having that really clear space to kind of reset my head and get it clear over a couple of days has been so, so important. And then just fill that with things that I like to do. Me and my partner go riding together and my mates, we all turned 30 this year and now they've all just taken up golf. So now we play golf on Sundays as well. And I'm kind of enjoying that as well. So just anything that isn't floodlight, I think is important to just spend time not doing it. Your success has been carved out pretty early, which is great. And uh, I really appreciate that you're taking some time to come on the Pure Now show and talk to us about your professional career and your life. And uh, it's been great having you on, man. Thanks, See ya. Mark. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.